How would you like a 15% discount to my daily email, the stack of stuff, the show notes, discounts to the conference, all of that? All you need to do is text the word SHOW to 33777. You'll get the annual subscription with a 15% discount to my daily email. You'll get the stack of stuff, the links to the show notes, discounts to the conference, and so much more. All you have to do is text the word SHOW, S-H-O-W, to 33777. Text SHOW to 33777. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Greetings, America. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across the United States. The phone number, 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, for those of you in my flagship station, WSB, and around Georgia, you should know Governor Brian Kemp has now called for school choice in his State of the State speech. Big deal. Uh, making it one of the governor's priorities this year. Good for him and tort reform, too, thankfully. Uh, before I get into anything else, there's some news we got to deal with. This is Rick Santelli from CNBC. If you take core CPI, the actual index, which is seasonally adjusted, the read there is 313.216. That probably doesn't mean anything to you. It means something to me. That's the highest it's ever been. It's ever been. Now, remember, Bureau of Labor Statistics brings out this number. Go to their website. When did COVID start? March of 2020? Okay, this is a decent number. That means NOVA was the most updated we had prior to about two minutes ago. If you go to their website and you look at their CPI inflation calculator and you put in uh, Feb of 2020, what you'll find is it takes a dollar 19 of NOVA 23 dollars to buy what bought a dollar pre-COVID. Do it if you don't believe me. That's Rick Santelli, inflation up. Um, It's up over 3% still, so probably no big changes. We'll get into this later, but probably no Fed cut or rate cut in the first quarter with that news. I want to begin with something else, though. We'll get to what we all suffered through last night if you watched it. We'll we'll get there eventually. I want to begin with Nick Saban. You know, when the devil goes down to Georgia, he loses fiddling contests. But when he goes to Alabama, he can win a lot of football games and then retire. (laughs) Oh, the rest of us in the SEC, we've we've all got a chance now. We've all got a chance. Nick Saban retiring. He's 72 years old uh, and has decided to retire. I want to put this in perspective for you. And and I don't care whether you're a football fan or not. This, This is relevant for you. Oh, yes, we'll tie it into other things. I want you to stick around. I do have a method to my madness here. In 17 seasons, as Alabama's coach, he has a 206-29 to record. That is, he won, his team won 206 football games and only lost 29 over a 17-year period. That is insane, inarguably the greatest living football coach. He's won nine SEC championships and six national championships. Not only that, he went to Alabama, started in 2007, and consider the effect on the University of Alabama. It went from 25,000 students to now 40,000 students, a 60% jump. The average university increased 10% in the same time. It increased 60%. Not only that, 
a majority of students at, Alabama, at the University of Alabama now are from out of state, not in state. In other words, the average tuition payment rises to 32000 instead of 11000 It increased massively because of the influx of out-of-state students who pay 32000 a year versus $11,000 for in-state tuition. Alabama paid Nick Saban $130 million over these seasons. He has generated billions for the University of Alabama. That's impressive. It is genuinely impressive. He is inarguably the greatest living football coach, not just college, I think. Probably, I I would say combined, his win record. And, you know, maybe I should say college because a lot of times, take Urban Meyer and others, the NFL and and college football coaching doesn't translate. Uh, Saban actually left LSU uh, and went to the Miami Dolphins and, and was there and then moved back to the University of Alabama. Now, there's a a very funny story about Nick Saban that, uh, oh, let me find this. This was actually very funny. Uh, So Nick Saban was coaching for a time at Michigan State University in the mid-1980s. This guy is is Mark Shipper, uh, who is a reporter. Uh, He's on ESPN, Sirius XM. Uh, He got this from Bob Stoops, who used to be a coach at Oklahoma. So Saban was coaching at Michigan State University in the uh, mid-80s. It was in Youngstown, Ohio, recruiting players. During one of the trips, he went to a local tavern with Bob Stoops' uncle to have lunch and talk football. They got way into the conversation. If you've ever seen one of the football documentaries out there about Nick Saban, the man eats, breathes, sleeps football. He is incapable, really, of talking about anything else. He, he He's a football, football guy. So Stoops and Saban are diagramming schemes and plays, and while the two are locked into this this heavy, deep-dive conversation into college football, a guy walks in and robs the place at gunpoint. Gets all the cash from the register and left. The police show up, swarm the place, and the bartender tells the police, don't even bother with Saban and Stoops. Those two didn't look up the entire time. In fact... Neither of them knew that the place had been robbed. They were there the entire time, so into the weeds in football, neither Saban nor Stoops even knew the place had been robbed. The guy's flashing a gun, steals all the money. The cops swarm the place. That's how committed the man was to football. It's impressive. Now, today, the bigger news is Bill Belichick as well. Well, I wouldn't say it's bigger news. It is big news, though. Bill Belichick for the Patriots is gone. He's had terrible several seasons ever since they let Tom Brady go. Belichick, um, it went downhill for him. I, now, I wonder, hey, do you want to come to the Atlanta Falcons, Belichick? I'm, I'm sure you can do better than what we've had if Arthur Blank will let you. Um, or do you want to go to the University of Alabama? I, I, I don't know that the NFL and college football translate that much anymore, but Belichick is 71. He's hanging it up after 24 seasons. Saban is letting go at 72. 17 seasons at the University of Alabama. My friend Mary Catherine Ham had the, a great tweet last night. She said, could Nick Saban do a master class on retiring before you're corpse-like? And then once he does it, can the rest of us give a free subscription to two certain 80-year-olds? Yes, please. 
Now, I say that, and you, you know what's his name? Um, Pete, what's his name is is out at the the Seahawks. Um, they're they're these football coaches. They're in their seventies and they're retiring. They're realizing it, it it's time to retire. Pete Carroll out of the Seahawks. He, he's in his seventies as well. So you've got Saban and Carroll and Belichick all leaving, and we're forced to grapple with two 80-year-olds who just can't go leave us alone. And remarkably, they are surrounded by people who think they are the indispensable man, both of them. There are no indispensable people, and yet they seem to think they are. This debate last night, uh, it was an insufferable debate between Haley and DeSantis. We'll get into it. They squabbled with each other. Uh, They're running for second place. Neither one of those people last night on that debate stage were running to win. They were running for second place. And Trump had a town hall. He won't debate him, but he had a town hall. He looked way better than them. But he's he will be older if he's elected. He'll be older than Joe Biden was when Joe Biden was elected. We're dealing with Joe Biden's wind-down dimension, the pressures of the job. What about Trump? His supporters don't want to consider it any more than Biden's supporters seem to want to consider it for him. But it, it, it is a, a real juxtaposition, is it not? You've got Nick Saban, arguably the winningest college football coach, who actually had a great Yeah, he lost to Michigan, but they made it to... That uh, they made it into the playoffs. It was a good game. He didn't have a great team this year, but he probably has another season or two anywhere. He probably could have made some turnaround. Although he, he's even he apparently has been complaining about the, some of the Gen Z players who are coming up who can't be yelled at, and he hates what's happened to college football. College football has been thoroughly corrupted by uh, the portal tra- transfer portal and everything else. It's just not the same game anymore. You, you root for your college team, and the players change every year. They're not committed. They just want the money. Remember, Scripture says that uh, it's not money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money, and we're seeing the love of money in college football totally corrupt the game. You've got coaches like Kirby Smart from Georgia, Nick Saban, and a lot of others all complaining about what's happening to the game and to the players and being able to build a stable long-term team. And the NCAA has totally screwed this up. But it is still remarkable in all of that uh, that these guys can be looked on as, as, as role model figures in a lot of ways for young men compared to the political class in America. The political class in America, including Trump and Biden, could probably learn a lot from these guys. Know when to hang it up. And I personally think it is a kind of damning indictment on the voting class. We we, we complain about the state of the country, and it's the voters who seem to be giving us these 80-year-olds who just can't go away. It's not them. I mean, they on their own can't do it. It's the voters who who want the rest of us to have to deal with these 80-year-olds who age rapidly in this job of the presidency. It's, it's a high-stakes, high-demand job, and all the people saying Biden's too old and can't handle it are willing to put someone in office who would be older than Biden when he takes the job, leaving the rest of us to deal with it. I'm not sure what it is about the boomer class 
not knowing when it's time to go. Now, I say this very mindfully as someone who 30 years from now, when I'm in my 70s, would still love to be on radio, would still love to be doing it. But at the same time, having some level of self-awareness about it. I, yo, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm impressed with Saban's record. I'm, you know, being a from Louisiana now in Georgia, LSU, he was their coach, and everyone in LSU is, is bitter about when Saban left to go to the Dolphins. He had had a good run at LSU for a little while and then left, and now being at, uh, being in Georgia and UGA and seeing this year, and, and Georgia should have been against Michigan in the in the championship game. It shouldn't have been Alabama in the playoffs. It should have been Georgia, I think. But it was a last hurrah for Nick Saban. I'll give it to him, given his record, but he's had his last hurrah. Why can't these geriatrics in Washington figure out their last hurrah should have come and gone a long time ago? And it's not just, look at Bob Menendez, who is convinced of his innocence, the gold bars sewn into the lining of his suit. McConnell in his 80s, Nancy Pelosi in her 80s, all of the, I mean, it depends. I mean, that, that that's essentially the motto of Washington these days. No disrespect to all of you who are in your 70s and 80s listening right now, but I suspect you, above all, get it. And what's happening is we're headed towards a crisis. We are headed towards a crisis. We're headed towards a fiscal crisis, if not a national security crisis in this country. I didn't really get into it. Mitch Daniels, uh, former governor of Indiana, former head of Office of Management and Budget for the Bush administration, has an op-ed in the Washington Post. After years of being a guy who takes fiscal management seriously, he's like, bring on the crisis. Washington's not going to solve any problem until we actually have the crisis, so bring on the crisis. The crisis is coming. The geriatrics in Washington refuse to deal with the crisis. They're squabbling with each other, and they've decided that they are the most important, essential people in the room. They have decided they are the indispensable man. Story after story in history shows us there are no indispensable men because all the indispensable men wind up the same way as the dispensable men do, dead. And at some point, for all these people in Washington, God himself will impose his term limits plan on them. They should take a page from Bill Belichick, from Nick Saban, and go on and enjoy their retirement, and let the new generation come in and clean up the messes that they themselves, Joe Biden, have made. Hello, friends. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. Ken, just, I want to talk to you directly, Ken. You're listening right now. You should be. Ken knows who Ken is. Ken, next time you talk to John, ask him about his minute 30-second voicemail that he left me in the middle of my radio show, and it was a butt dial. Y'all, my agent calls me. I'm like, oh, there must be something important. It's in the middle of the show. I'll call him back. Leaves me a voicemail. I listen to it. It's just him, I guess, piddling around his house. (laughs) Oh, my goodness gracious. All right. All right, I, I got to play this audio for y'all. Relevant to those of you in Georgia, this is the governor of the state of Georgia during his state of the state speech. It's relevant for every conservative everywhere in the nation. I believe, like many of you, that competition and the free market drives innovation. 
at the end of the day, it, they result in a better product for the consumer. When it comes to education, the same principles hold true. Over the last few years, there has been a great deal of debate around different proposals to expand options for students and families. And listen, I know the audio is a little low. My apologies on that. It's, this is the best audio quality we've been given. When it comes to finding the education that best fits their individual needs. He goes on to say, I believe we have run out of next year's. My office and I look forward to working with the members and leadership of both chambers to get a bill passed and signed into law this session on school choice. Good for him. Um, good for him. It, it, it's great to have him do that. Now, on other news, this happened last night. Uh, it completely got overshadowed by the Nick Saban news. Poor guy. It comes out, and then it, after it happens, like 10 minutes later, the Nick Saban news comes out, and everybody moves on. And it's clear to me tonight that there isn't a path for me to win the nomination, which is why I'm suspending my campaign tonight for President of the United States. That's Chris Christie in New Hampshire last night. He's out. He won't endorse anyone. He was overheard on a hot mic saying uh, neither Haley nor DeSantis have what it takes, but he doesn't want to hold it, stay in the race and have people blame him. Um, so he's out of the race. Uh, yet the polling does suggest a shift will happen to Haley, but how big, we don't know. When we come back, we'll talk about that debate. Right now, Vision Computers wants your business, and you should give them your business. If you need a PC, a laptop or a desktop, Vision can build that PC for you, and then they can become your service department, which they're brilliant people. Any technology questions you got, Vision can handle those technology questions. They do so much more than just computers, but computers is the sweet spot, and you need one for your kid headed off to college or for your home, for your office, for your employees. You need multiple computers. Vision can take care of them, then they can be your service department. So think about this. Think about what it costs to hire an in-house IT person to be on call for you with Vision. You buy the computers from them, they're going to be your in-house IT department. And for the rest of you who haven't bought a uh, computer from them for a small annual fee, they'll become your IT department as well. So your employees get a phone number. They got a question about the computer. They call 15 seconds or less faster than a Google search. Vision can get them situated. If there's a problem, oftentimes they can remote into the computers and, and handle stuff that way. Email, printer support, all of that. Visioncomputers.com or 404-COMPUTE. Call 404-COMPUTE anywhere nationwide. Tell them I sent you get an even better deal. 404-COMPUTE. Greetings and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, as always, text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777, get the show notes, the live stream, the podcast, and so much more. Let's go to Paul, waiting patiently on the phones. Paul, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Eric. Good, Eric. How are you, sir? Good. What's going on? Hey, man. So I, so you made a comparison. You've made it a, a many, many times. But there really, in my opinion, there's no comparison in Donald Trump's 80-year-old mind compared to uh, Joe Biden's mind. I mean, they're... Joe Biden's like stuck in the fifth grade, and you know Donald Trump is is he's got he's got all his facilities, and he's he may be old, but he's still sharp as a tag. His mind is okay. So, but opinion. now here's the problem with, with this though, Paul. If he gets elected, he's going to be there for four years, and and Biden has clearly like I mean he what you're right. Trump starts ahead of where Biden was, or Biden actually is is like regress worse than Trump. But he's going to be there for four years in this job. And, and I mean, 
I ever listen. I mean, my parents are in their eighties now. I, 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 I love them. My dad's sharp as a tack too, but I don't know that I want him to be president of the United States at his age. Yeah. Well, it just, if, if, if I felt that there was, has been any drop off since Trump first got hired as president, I don't think there's been any drop off. I mean, the guy never sleeps. The guy just, he's a workaholic. He works so hard that I think all that work keeps his mind so sharp. I mean, if you listen to the town hall yesterday, did he ever stammer for words or, or need to? He never paused. I mean, he, he he just comes off with great lines constantly. Look, look I, I don't dispute what you're saying, but he's going to be older than Biden when he takes off. Like, he'll be older than yeah. Biden when Biden took office. And, and I, look, not only do I have concerns with that, but also, and, and Paul, look, I, I appreciate it. It's well said, but. Is the best we can do these eighty-year-olds? Of we are a nation of three hundred thirty million people, and we're going to be relying on two eighty-year-olds, one who's clearly got dementia and, and one who's seriously getting up there in age. I'm, I mean that that's part of the problem. My frustration here is it was like you know like when when Jeb Bush ran for president. I personally liked the guy, but I told him I said I, I'm there's no way I'm supporting you for president. I told him to his face. I said, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but if the best, this was 2016, that if the best we as a nation can do is another Clinton versus and Bush running for office, we as a nation have failed. At some point, it's it's on us, the voters, for doing this. Um, well, look, and, and again, for you Democrats who like Biden and those of you who like Trump, I, look, I understand, but also is the best we can do to 80-year-olds? Seriously? Speaking of Trump, on stage, uh, he did the town hall uh, with Brett Bear. Let me play this one. Notice, first of all, the media played up the line about Trump and, and Bedlam. I mean, they play this up. Oh, he's going to start another insurrection if he gets elected. Bear asked him about this last night. Notice, I'm going to play you this in, in, in full so you get the full context. Notice how the mainstream media is avoiding what Trump said last night. Can you say tonight that political violence is never acceptable? Well, of course, that's right. And of course, I'm the one that had very little of it. Take a look at wars. Again, I didn't start. I wasn't involved in wars. We beat the hell out of ISIS. We won 100 percent. We brought our troops back home. Look at look at the violence that we've had. Look at the violence we have recently. Right, with, but when you say bedlam, what do you mean? I think you say, bedlam. I think you look at Joe Biden. It's bedlam. You have a man who can't lead. You have a man who can't find his way off a stage after he makes a speech that lasts for about two minutes. Now, I think Bedlam is Joe Biden. I think that he's using this. This is just a political ploy. Trump is a dictator. He wants to be a dictator. You know, it's interesting. I did a show, Sean Hannity. Did you ever hear of him? He's a very nice man. <laughs> and he said, essentially, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? Tell me. I think he was trying to give me a nicer question than maybe you guys would. He meant it very well. I said... I'm going to be a dictator for one day. We're going to do two things. The border, we're going to make it so tight you can't get in unless you come in legally. And the other is energy. We're going to drill, baby, drill. After that, I'm not going to be a dictator. After that, I'm not going to be a dictator. So, so you weren't press, saying no, that no, the And the press picks it up. So I said, I'm going to be a dictator for one day. They cut it. They go, I'm going to be a dictator. But they cut the rest of the sentence. No, no, I am not going to be a dictator. I'm going to manage like we did. We were so successful that the country was coming together. 
it was actually coming together and coming together well. It was a beautiful thing to see, and we're going to do that again. Now, this gets to the point Paul was making. Let's listen to some of Joe Biden's teleprompter speech the other day. Make this sacred pledge to you the defense, protection, and preservation of American democracy will remain as it has been the central cause of my presidency. On the freedom to vote and have your vote counted, on the freedom of a choice, the freedom to have a fair shot, the freedom from fear. <laughs> and we'll debate and disagree without democracy. Um, can you? Um, that was Biden on a teleprompter versus Trump off the cuff. There is something to be said about that. I still, I don't know that we want to put an eighty-year-old in there. One more from Trump on the on the uh, town hall. <laughs> this one, <laughs> I. Man, okay, can I just say, it is actually, like, really clear, like, like he's he's going after Haley because she's rising the polls, but dude really hates Ron DeSantis. At all. Florida did shut down. Ron DeSantis shut down, or, as he's known, Ron DeSanctimonious. He, he shut his state down very violently, actually, and shut the highways down, the roads down. But we had, uh, I'm a federalist in a sense, because that's the federalist way. No, I didn't actually have a shutdown, despite the fact that some people wanted to, and some people didn't want to. But we had some great governors. The governors that did the best job were Republican governors, and they were the ones that didn't shut down. Okay, now, this this gets me here. Um, This, this, this whole I'm a federalist, we wouldn't do a shutdown thing. Just, can we just roll the tape on this one for a moment, please? Would you ever allow a shutdown in the future? You're talking about a COVID shutdown? Correct. No, I wouldn't. And I never did. We did the right thing. We closed the country down. I could have kept it open. And I could have done what some countries are doing. I had to shut it down. We did the right thing. Florida did shut down. Run to Sanctus shut down. We're in a place called Florida, and we have a great governor. Great governor knows exactly what he's doing. Terrific job. He just announced that the schools will be open. Governor's done a great job. Florida is down low now in the China virus. He shut his state down very violently. And you're open, and you didn't close, and you're it's just amazing, right? It's- I, I, y'all, I just... I don't know this. This uh, I know it doesn't bother a lot of his supporters, but to to say something that's just completely factually, um, absolutely contrary to reality is just um, all right. Let's deal with what happened last night. <sighs> Let's begin with DeSantis, Governor DeSantis. Is there any meaningful difference? in how you and Donald Trump view the Constitution. My role model for how to do the Constitution is uh, George Washington. He said, the Constitution is the guide that I will never abandon. And I remember when I took an oath to be an officer in the U.S. Navy, uh, you, you, you raise that hand, you put that left hand on the Bible, and it's interesting, the oath doesn't say that you're going to defend the shores of the United States uh, or, or engage in, in military conflict. The oath simply says that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. As President of the United States, you will preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. You can't just terminate the Constitution. I mean, I know he does, you know, word vomit from time to time on social media, but obviously I will uphold the Constitution. But, and I think it's fine to criticize Donald Trump, and I know the media brings this up a lot. Uh, but you know who else deserves to be criticized? 
The people that violated the Constitution during COVID to lock people out of schools, to destroy businesses, to force masks on people, to try to force vaccines, I'm going to bring a reckoning to all these agencies, the CDC, the NIH, the FDA. They harm people in this country. And when Dr. Fauci said there Thank was you, no Governor. learning loss for kids, that's a disgrace. Thank you, Governor. There's a reckoning coming. So and now to Nikki Haley. So you go, I did not support the aid package. I support equipment and ammunition going to Ukraine. I think it is incredibly important that we're honest and say we have to focus on national security. Don't go and lie to the American people to make them think we can't do this. You turn around and raise the debt limit. You're the one that's talked about, look at what you did to Florida. But think about the fact that he's talking about where's this money going to come from. You, the best way to tell about a candidate is to see how they've run a, their campaign. He has blown through $150 million. I don't even know how you do that. Through his campaign, he has nothing to show for it. He spent more money on private planes than he has on commercials trying to get Iowans to vote for him. If you can't manage a campaign, how are you going to manage a country? All right. One more DeSantis. Oh, yeah. I have a point to play these audio pieces. With all due respect, you know, for her to, to single out Donald Trump on China, and look, I think he could have been tougher on him 100%. When Nikki Haley was governor of South Carolina, she was the number one governor in America for Republicans of bringing China into her state. She wrote a love letter to the ambassador saying that they were a great friend. She's on video saying China's a friend. Uh, she had a, a business, five Chinese business, five miles from a military base. There's a video of her on the website right in front of a Chinese flag saying that she works for them now. So that was her number one achievement as governor was bringing China into the state of South Carolina. So you say you're going to look 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Why wasn't she doing that then when people were yeah. raising the red flags about it? In Florida, I banned China from buying Governor, land in our state Governor and DeSantis. we kicked them out of our university. That's what you need to be doing. You know what last night reminded me of in the CNN debate? The kid in school goes, teacher, teacher, he's not being fair. Teacher, he's not being fair. Teacher, 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 he did it again. Teacher, he's touching me. Teacher, he's touching me. He's in my spot. Teacher, oh my gosh. Now, I, I, I don't mean to offend you and, and some, some shrinking violet snowflake DeSantis supporters are upset with me today because I tweeted this morning that in watching that painful exercise on CNN last night, uh, the, the kudos to Dana Bash and Jake Tapper, but, I mean, neither Nikki Haley nor Ron DeSantis were running to win Iowa last night. They were running to beat each other for second place. Donald Trump on Fox News handled himself quite well. He reminded people of the Donald Trump they had in the White House to the degree of he was funny, he was charming, he answered questions, he carefully navigated himself in. Yes, for a near 80-year-old who would be older than Joe Biden if he gets elected, he didn't stammer over his words, him and haw, and um, 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 the whole time like Joe Biden would. Meanwhile, Nikki Haley and Rod DeSantis were both, teacher, she's in my face, he's touching me. They could have had a debate on the issues and highlighted their differences through statements of where they stand. Instead, they chose to attack each other the whole damn time. It was a waste of my evening, and I can't get those minutes back, and neither can you. And they did nothing to help themselves try to win in Iowa. All they did was compete for second place. Yes, they both criticized Donald Trump to a degree, but barely. I don't know if you guys know this or not. 
But if you want to come in first place, you have to beat the person who's in first place. And DeSantis and Haley last night appeared to be targeting second place, which isn't good enough. In politics, as in most sports, second place is for losers. Now, that's all we need to say about that. That was just, I I was aggravated to have wasted my time. We got other stuff to talk about today, including the economy. Uh, We've got the situation in uh, the Red Sea. My buddy Brent Bozell is going to join me. And we've got new information on the mass shooter in Maine that raises all sorts of red flags about the competency of government to deal with this issue you're going to need to stay tuned for that. The phone number 877-973-7425. Right now, I got to tell you about Americans for Prosperity. They're out around the country. They're in Missouri. They're in Georgia. They're in a number of other states where school choice is advancing. They're knocking on doors. They're targeting uh, legislators who are wobbly on the issue. They're educating voters on where the uh, legislators stand. Y'all, they do such a good job advocating for limited government and for things like school choice. You should join up with them at americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Go sign up with Americans for Prosperity. They've got activists in every state in the country. They are formally organized in 36 of the 50 states and organizing in the others. Over 4 million people have signed up with them. You learn how to go to your state legislature or your local government and advocate for free people, for free markets, for school choice, for tax regu- tax reform, for deregulation, for small businesses. They're so good at what they do, they actually get into the states and do the business of the conservative movement. Americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Go sign up with them and improve your skills as a conservative activist. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. You buy in a building, you build in a building, you buy in a franchise, buy out a business competitor. That's what the sort of deals are the First Liberty deals in. Reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com. See if they can help you. A lot of banks giving you the runaround. First Liberty makes their own decisions. Firstlibertyga.com. Let me jump to the phones here. Tracy, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, I come from a family of educators, and one of my children hopes to be one soon. How, if you were in a room with uh, a group of Democrats or and rural county residents, how would you sell them on the idea of school choice? Um, one of the number one arguments I hear from my family and um, those against school choice is that it takes money away from public school systems. And you have school districts that lobby their educators to vote against it. How, so how would you sway them? And then what has been the impact on public school systems where school choice has been offered, let's say inner cities such as Miami? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Let me take the second one first. Uh, look at Florida. Florida has a robust school choice system, and it has some of the best public school systems in the nation. Uh, school choice there has only made the public schools better because they've had to compete. Uh, now, to the other issue, I'd say first, uh, the money in the Georgia plan would come from the state, so it's not being taken out of the rural areas. And that money is money that follows the student. So it's $6,500 from the state to a local school system for a kid. If that kid moves to a different school, that money moves with the kid. If that cool is, if that student is homeschooled, that money <clears throat> stops flowing to the local school. So it, it's not depriving the school of money that uh, it would otherwise get. That money only goes if the student goes there. Second, 
if it's a rural part of the state and the schools are great, they don't have anything to worry about. Um, no one's going to pull their kid out of a, out of a good school. Uh, no one's going to do that. They're going to pull their kids out of bad schools. All these schools are saying, oh, school choice is going to destroy us. Well, not if your school is good. And the example is in Florida, where the public school systems have become much improved because it's so easy for people to bail their kids out if they fail. It has helped the public schools improve in Florida. It's helped the public schools improve in every state that does school choice. Um, they're they're hiding behind a fear of something that they can't prove is true. But in every state where these issues arise, what's happened is exactly the opposite. The public school systems have also improved. The grades of the kids and the test scores of the kids in the public schools have gone up as well. How do you think Kemp can get this across the goalposts uh, this year? There are 16 rural Republicans who have said no. They need three of them to support it. Uh, I think what you're going to see is a coordinated effort to uh, give them either what they want to change their vote or deprive them of the legislation they're seeking until they vote for it. Um, I got to let you go there, uh, Tracy. We're, we're out of time. But, yeah, look, you got these, these 16 Republicans in Georgia who have opposed it. We only need three of them. Uh, deprive the rural legislators of their preferred pieces of legislation until they change their votes. Uh, play hardball with them. That's what you got to do. Play hardball with them. When we come back, uh, the U.S. government trying to indoctrinate our teaching professionals with tips from Germany on how to punish conservatives. Yes, wait till you hear about this.